This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Welcome back to Sportsbook. I'm Dan Roberts. And we love talking here about ESPN, the business of ESPN, its fortunes, its ups and downs. It is, as the company calls itself, the worldwide leader in sports, or maybe you feel it isn't anymore, the worldwide leader. It's owned by parent company Disney, and many investors and shareholders and Wall Street types feel that Disney in recent years has been dragged down by owning ESPN. Uh, A lot of people think that Disney should sell off ESPN, get rid of it, as the sports network loses subscribers. But it's also not really as bad as everyone paints it. Uh, ESPN is suffering from the same declines in cable and the same cord cutting and fragmentation of television that all major networks are suffering from. But there are also self-inflicting wounds. Uh, ESPN recently has become a political punching bag. A lot of people on the internet, vocal, angry people, feel that ESPN uh, went liberal, as they say, or got too political at some point. And indeed, uh, whether this is the cause of its business declines or not, uh, there are some recent events that are hard to refute, or or at least hard to dismiss, recent political-related controversies. And there have been a bunch of them uh, in the last six months or so. And ESPN is dealing with those issues. So as we know, the network peaked back in 2011. It had more than 100 million subscribers. That wasn't that long ago. But in six years, it has gone down to 87 million at the most recent count via Nielsen. That's still uh, a healthy number more than its big competitor, Fox Sports, FS1, which sort of has a a PR campaign of, oh, we're coming for ESPN, but that really isn't the reality. Uh, And again, these declines are are really due to cord cutting and uh, a number of other trends. But the people who feel that ESPN got too political at some point recently will tell you that the reason the network is losing subscribers is because of its politics. So into all of this, we love to bring in other media executives, uh, sports media, television, internet. Uh, On this very podcast on our first episode back in September, we discussed ESPN at length with Barstool Sports CEO Erica Nardini. That was a great chat. Uh, She pointed out that one problem that maybe isn't ESPN's fault is just that the average 18 to 34-year-old sports fan doesn't feel a need to watch SportsCenter anymore. Uh, By the time the the next SportsCenter is on, you already know all this news. You've read about it online. You've seen Instagram memes about it. Uh, You've seen stuff from Bleacher Report. You've read aggregations. It sort of feels like by the time you sit down to watch the 11 p.m. SportsCenter, they're just reviewing things you already know. Of course, there are other elements, uh, and maybe you watch because you love the host. You know, ESPN, uh, I've written about this. We did a big story on ESPN's attempt to digitize SportsCenter. But they have a very overt internal and external push, they are using this term externally, of personality-driven programming. That's a term they're using. The idea being that they want each sports center slot to be even more based around the host and the host's personality and personal proclivities. And that's fine. A lot of people like that. Uh, a lot of people don't. A lot of people want sports center to be a straight news program. But anyway, I digress. Uh, we had in last week the CEO of Flow Sports, which is a local network of sports sites, been around uh, quite a few years. And it has very gradually, steadily, I think cleverly, expanded and grown on the strength of being very deep in a few key sports. That is, it isn't Bleacher Report, SB Nation, Deadspin. It doesn't try to cover everything in the sports world. Instead, they have dedicated verticals for things like track. uh, And I remember even 
12 years ago when I was in high school, spending a lot of time on flow track and looking at the message boards and the forums. I mean, that was a big thing if you were a high school runner, and it still is. So flow sports has been around a while. Uh, I think flow track is the most known vertical, but they do a lot with wrestling, high school and college wrestling. Uh, and now, recently, I think they've gotten a lot of good attention for their combat site, Flow Combat, where they do MMA coverage. Uh, and as the CEO describes it, they want to be deep in just a few things instead of broad and shallow in lots of sports. So we had him in for a video discussion and a podcast chat. And the reason I led with ESPN is because, of course, the conversation turned to ESPN. That, that's what ESPN has done. Was they've bought themselves time by signing into long long-term rights deals and so um, that's that's a double-edged sword because if cable cutting uh, it continues to accelerate they might be stuck with rights deals where they're monetizing in a way that's truly not optimal but that's the bet they made and of course let me caution flow sports a much smaller organization than ESPN much less known you know not even what you would call a competitor per se but at the same time in this ongoing fragmentation of cable you could argue that anything that televises or streams live sports is a competitor to ESPN. And actually, when we had the CEO of Flow Sports in, uh, we were discussing that Flow Sports had just inked a deal with the Big Ten Network that will allow Flow Sports to offer live streaming to its premium paying readers of a number of Big Ten sports. So you could watch a Maryland basketball game through Flow Sports. You could watch... Uh, wrestling, anything like that, pretty much anything other than football. And that's a number of big schools that are in the Big Ten. So this was a big uh, contract for Flow Sports and a sign of its growth. So we're going to get into it with Martin Floriani. All right, I'm joined by Martin Floriani, who is the co-founder and CEO of Flow Sports. Hey, Martin. Hey, Dan. So let's start this way. I remember very well how big of a deal flow track was when I was in high school and college. I mean, still is. But I mean, for me, that was when I would spend time on it. Uh, I ran cross country in high school. And then in college, I had a lot of friends who ran track. They would just spend hours in the forums of flow track. Uh, so correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I feel like that was a big part uh, of the beginning for flow sports was building that audience through the forums. Yeah, when uh, I was a college wrestler. And uh, actually how we started Flow Sports is after college, I never achieved what I wanted to achieve. I certainly wanted to be an All-American. I wrestled at Cal Poly. I never came close to it, right? And, uh, and after college, I went around the country and took a road trip and talked to a lot of the top college coaches and saw their practices. And through the whole time, I was leaning in. I mean, I was like a sponge. I'm like, yeah. this content is incredible. And I had no thought of being starting a media company. Had a mechanical engineering degree. It was actually the furthest thought wow. um, in, my, in my head. And, um, and so ultimately, when I started looking at the cable experience, and this was in time everyone was so high on, you know, your traditional ESPN, yeah. NBCs. And I just was like, this is not the content that really hits the nerve. I felt like it wasn't all that great, and I felt like sports need, deserved to be on digital. And uh, so I created Flow Sports with the idea of creating the content that I experienced on that road trip. Super, it, I mean, content really made for the mavens. 
Um, and because there's a core belief that I believe that everyone wants to be in the top 1% of their sports. Everyone wants to be associated with the top people within their sport. Everyone wants to know what the top 1% makes them click, right? Like what, what really makes them, what makes them like really turn on? And, uh, and so with that premise, we started Flow Sports and frankly, we exploded. Right off the bat, like we really hit a nerve. But our, our major problem the first year or two was was money, just trying to make yeah. it all work. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about money a little bit. What's interesting with you guys is there is some free stuff, but also you've had success with charging for subscriptions. There's a monthly subscription option and a annual subscription option. And we're seeing more and more sites try this. Uh, quite recently, this site called The Athletic has staffed up very quickly. You know, they have venture capital money from California, and it's you know they're hiring a lot of these sports reporters who are really well-known within their beat. And the idea is it's all subscription. And so they're getting some attention, and I, I think a lot of people in media want that to succeed in theory. But we've also seen so many newspaper and websites, uh, newspaper and magazines, that on their websites have tried paywalls and then eventually have abandoned them. They haven't always worked. So how has charging for subscriptions worked well for you guys? How can other sports media companies make that work? I think it comes with the mindset that you're going to go all in. I mean, it, just think about sports, right? If you're all in, that's the only chance to be really, really successful. And so the athletics started with the premise that, no, this is the, this is the only way we're going to make it work. Here we go. Right? And they go all in. City by city. At least that's what they're doing. Yeah, c yeah. C city by city. And for you but guys, it's sort of been sport by sport. Yep. They're going city by city. and it's, They're tapping into a strong passion within a vertical. I mean, in, in some sense, I use vertical, right, as AKA sport. In some sense, their vertical is the city, right? right. Super passionate where people are from. And they might be a fan of one or two of the top uh, pro teams uh, within that vertical and be able to uh, be able to follow it. And so um, their, their success, our success is that, you know, maybe five years in, I'm a slow learner, Dan, right? <laughs> uh, five years in, I, uh, I, um, I just had a kid, uh, didn't have a ton of money. We were hand-to-mouth the whole time on, on an advertising model. Mm. And really, the advertisers, I, I remember our first ad deal. I got a call from my brother. I was on the West Coast. He calls, hey, Reebok is going in at $7,500. I'm like, $7,500? That keeps <laughs> us open for another 30 days. This is wow. great, right? <laughs> and uh, that $7,500 became $50,000, became you know, several hundred thousand. I'm very thankful for the people that have supported us to get to that point. And people like Reebok, um, Brooks, New Band, a lot of those key people were, were uh, enabled us to be in a position. But what started happening with the advertisers is they wanted to do us to create the content, only the content that they wanted. Mm. And that was fundamentally against the premise of why we started Flow Sports. And so five years in, all my friends have great jobs. They're doing great things. And I'm a... Uh, I'm trying to, I, I'm food to mouth, hand to mouth. I mean, I'm just like, we are just pouring everything back in. And I'm like, I, I, we can't do this. One, I'm not achieving the mission of what we wanted to do. And it's not the, it's not really fully going all in. And that's where we said, you know what? We're going to go all in on subscriptions. We're going to make this work or it's not going to work. And, um, and since that time, we've really exploded. So I think you got to go wall in if you really want to, you want to make the subscription model work. Let's specifically talk about TV, or even maybe TV isn't the right word, video content, streaming media. 
Uh, you guys just today shared with us that you've made this new deal with the Big Ten Network where you'll be able to live stream a lot of Big Ten games. That's huge. Uh, you guys already show a lot of high school and college games on your website for the subscribers. As we talk about the fragmentation of cable, uh, you know, you mentioned ESPN. A lot of people don't see it necessary anymore to pay for cable. They might not watch any ESPN, or if they do, it's in a bar when there's a game on. Uh, there are so many different options now to find bits and pieces of live games online somewhere other than cable. What do you see happening in, in five years? I mean, is it only going to continue to go more digital? Uh, if I'm a fan and I want to watch a baseball game, are there going to be more and more options for me? Because as much as we talk about cord cutting, I still find that with big, big games, it's usually the case that the only place is the cable channel that has it. You Contractually, know? yes. I mean, yeah. I mean that, that's what ESPN has done was they've bought themselves time by signing into long, long-term rights deals. And so um, that's, that's a double-edged sword because if cable cutting uh, it continues to accelerate, they might be stuck with rights deals where they're monetizing in a way that's truly not optimal, but that's the bet they made. And, uh, and so, but yeah, I mean, sports deserves to be on digital. Sports deserves to be on consumed on digital. And you say it, say it twice for emphasis there. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, ESPN, NBC Sports, they're not doing enough to disrupt themselves. They're, they're, and, you know, if I'm in their situation, it, it must be difficult because, you know, ESPN is parent's company is Disney. Uh, if, they're, if they're looking quarter to quarter, uh, which they very well might be, they might not have the, they not have the ability to disrupt themselves, because they don't they don't want to take a hit on the street, right? And so, um, but I don't see those players as as doing enough to disrupt themselves to be around, call it seven to fifteen years from now. Well, when we talk about the increasing amount of options digitally, and subscriptions and packages, you know, Hulu is now creating its own series. They have original shows. Amazon has Amazon Prime. There's your Netflix subscription. There's now Sony PlayStation has PlayStation View, which is an option. There are lots of different OTT products. And eventually we expect, even though they're dragging their heels, that even ESPN will probably launch some kind of OTT service where you don't have a cable subscription, but you can pay to get ESPN on your iPad or your mm -hmm. computer. Fine. And then you guys have a subscription service. And then, you know, that's not even to mention news products. Like, I pay to subscribe to the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Washington Post. But all these add up. And actually, our editor-in-chief here, Andy Serwer, he has a point he always makes when we talk about the announcement of some kind of new subscription package. He says, you know, all these are great, but the more of them that exist, it starts to get overwhelming. And it ironically starts to feel like, well, you start to see the appeal of paying for cable. Mm -hmm. Because even though cable is outdated and it's dusty and it's not innovative and we say, oh, cut the cord, well, you pay one fee and you know that you're going to get everything, at least in terms of TV. Do you think that that's an issue that the more of these packages and subscription options that exist it just starts to get overwhelming for people. Dan, do you watch cable? Not that often. Um, you know, I've been watching the World Series on, on Fox, FS1. But really, I always love to say, if I could, I would pay just to get ESPN and HBO. Those yeah. are the only two things I care about. Yeah. Uh, I'd say is that uh, your editor-in-chief editor editor is correct in the sense that, yeah, as you get add more subscriptions, maybe... You want to bundle, all right? I mean, there's only two ways to really make money in the world. It's bundling and unbundling. And so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, m maybe that's it. But I, I would just say is, is when I turn on cable, 
I don't I actually don't have cable, but if I'm somewhere and I see cable, I mean it drives me nuts. Just the the way it's structured, the commercial. I just can't do it. I'm not built like that. I just don't I don't have an appeal for it and and I don't know if I ever was, but I certainly think this generation isn't. And so so your your editor chief is correct, but the problem is 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 the experience is broken. And millennials aren't going to accept it. Yeah. They're not going to just accept it because it's shoved down their throat. They're going to say, no, we don't want it. And, and they're right. So um, uh, I, 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 th- I think he's right, but then there's, there's more to it. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of the future, you know, we we're talking about TV, but let's just go broader. And in terms of consuming news, that's sports news content. Maybe it's all news. But uh, people talk about, you know, how... The attention spans are shorter, and everyone just wants to get quick hit aggregation. I was alluding to this earlier, but a lot of sports news websites cover things in a way that's just very quick and, and shallow. Does that discourage you at all for the future of consuming news, or is there reason to be optimistic just about people wanting to read good, strong content in the future, and specifically being willing to pay for it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like what you want, right? I mean, uh, there's going to be different products for everything. There's going to be USA Today, and then there's going to be lengthy, you know, Wall Street Journal, right? I mean, it's just uh, you're going to have you're going to have different products. One's going to be very surface level. One's going to be in depth. We we cater to the in depth. Um, that doesn't mean we're uptight. That doesn't mean we're you know we are we have fun. We just have a little bit of a different brand, and that brand's going to be extremely authentic in in everything that we do, and so. Um, there will be the surface level. I think you're going to find a harder time for people to pay a subscription for the surface level. So I think it pays to be authentic. I think it pays to be substantive. I think it, in the end, it's, it's a better business model, but, um, you all, I think you always have both. I hope that's true that, uh, that, you know, good content wins out in the end. Let's close out this way. Who are a few of your peers in sports media or sports news that you do think are, are doing a good job that you look to for some influence? I, I look at I look at Netflix as an infer- sure. influence. I mean, it's amazing what they did. And talk about being pioneers, right? I always people undervalue like how hard it is to be the pioneer because people throw arrows at you. They try and knock you down. They you know there's so many doubters. You have to answer so many questions, and so I really value that. Um, in some way, we are pioneers in our sport. But then I look at the broader perspective, and I look at you know what Reed Hastings has done at Netflix. is To me, is is uh, is inspirational. Um, and then I look at new people like you mentioned, the Athletic. These guys, you know, I, I spoke with them in in June. Um, great, great guys. They're just they're hashing away, trying you know figuring it out and getting a lot of good traction. You know, so um, I, I I think I when I look at it, I look at it across mediums, not just within sports. And I look at other people who are just doing media really well. And, uh, and I look up to any, anyone who's an innovator and willing to be a pioneer. Yeah, you mentioned Netflix. I mean, they haven't even really gotten into live sports in a big way yet, but I think everyone expects they will. I don't know. I mean, they, I think one of the strengths of Netflix is they're, they're so focused. And there's a power that comes when you're so focused. And they could have... They could have twisted and turned so many different times for the last 10 years, but they stay so maniacally focused, and they're just continuing to build incredible amount of equity by keeping that focus. And so it's almost like the anti-Amazon, right? Amazon's getting in every market, disrupting every market. Oh, yeah. Streaming NFL games, too. Like, anything they touch, 
they're now in that business. Anything that they that interface with them, they're now in that business. That's Amazon. Netflix and Netflix has just got has been able to stay focused and that's their that's their MO. Um, either way, when you look at Amazon or Netflix, you need incredible execution to win. Just like in sports. I mean, right? It, everyone says, hey, we're going to want to win the championship. No shit. <laughs> we're going to win the championship, right? But you got to actually be able to execute. And you look at, you know, Jeff Bezos, you look at uh, Reed Hastings, they, those guys have been really great. Two, two, two totally different strategies, just great at ex- execution. Yeah. Well, thanks, Martin. Great chat. And uh, in terms of execution, good luck to you guys at Flow Sports. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Appreciate it. All right. I thought that was a really interesting chat with Martin Floriani. Uh, Flow Sports, of course, is growing quickly. Still very small, very small. And some of those hot, juicy sound bites that came from Martin about ESPN, like at one point he said, ESPN has lost its way. I always caution, I mean, those are easy for someone to say who is an upstart, scrappy entrepreneur who is running a smaller organization that wants to grow. You know, uh, it's rarer that you see established CEOs of big, big Fortune 500 companies say that a certain other company has lost its way. Uh, I don't know if you'd hear many big, big, big CEOs say that. But Martin is in a position where Flow Sports wants to challenge the endemic, entrenched giants in the space. And it is doing that. I expect it to keep growing. Uh, And for me, the most interesting part of talking to someone like Martin of Flow Sports or Erica of Barstool Sports is the way that these companies are trying to monetize. Uh, We're seeing that the model that online journalism has relied on for almost 10 years, which is banner ads, uh, isn't really working very well. Uh, In some cases, it's working all right, but it just, you know, most of these sites have now moved to autoplay videos where an ad plays at the beginning of a video, uh, and that is annoying to readers, and we're trying to find alternate methods for that, and there's just got to be a better way. Uh, So Flow Sports along with some other sites. We, we talked about The Athletic, which is a network of local sports blogs that is charging for its content. They are finding some success in charging. You know, we used to call it a paywall, but the traditional paywall hasn't worked out for many publications. You know, you sort of have to be a New York Times or a Washington Post or a Financial Times, a must-subscribe to make that paywall work. So instead, I think we are seeing some positive indicators from websites like Flow Sports that target a very devoted, hardcore niche audience. That is, for Flow Sports, it's an audience like college wrestling fans or runners who want all the track news the second they can get it and charging them for content. So maybe that's the future of online journalism. But interesting chat, interesting to think about, and I'm sure we'll continue talking about ESPN on this podcast. So remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Sportsbook. We are on all the different podcast platforms. Uh, please comment, tweet at us. I am at Reed Dan Wright, or we are at Yahoo Finance. Let us know what you think about the future of ESPN. Did it get too political? Is that what you believe? Or what are the misconceptions? What is ESPN doing wrong? How do you get your sports news every day? I want to know. And we'll see you back next time, next Thursday morning. Thanks so much. Goodbye. <laughs>